Almost there. We're almost there, Jim. I'm not almost anywhere. It's, uh, I'm already where almost... I'm going. I, oh, I don't know if I told you this, Jason, but I will be podcasting tonight from my grave. <laughs> Is it beneath an ear of corn? Yeah, it's under a whole a whole field of corn. Uh, it's night 28 of hell to the king. Um, I don't... Let's just start talking. What did we watch, Jim? This is the first movie, Jason, where this... Of all the films, this one scared me the fastest. Because I pulled it up online and the poster came up and I thought, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) This film, Um, Jason, Secret Window, I thought it was going to be... I think I've, I feel certain that I saw a trailer for this whenever it came out, and I have since then thought that it was a movie about, like, a guy who checks in a motel to write, uh, and then, like, moves a desk, and there's a window behind it, but the window, instead of looking into the next hotel room, looks into uh, a, another building in a different city, or the middle of John Malkovich's head. Um, I, and it was going to be that looked, kind of surreal. Yeah, I thought it looked into a world in which John Turturro existed. Like that, oh, sure. From remembering the, seeing the trailer, I remember seeing it and thinking, that looks bad. Yes. But I really like the way John Turturro says, I will burn your laugh and everything 100%. in it. Yeah. And so I was thinking, like, oh, maybe it'll be fun, because it does seem like a guy who goes to a cabin to write, yeah. and then a, a like mythical pilgrim comes through a secret window played by john turturro it's like the lion the witch and the wardrobe. yelling at him through a secret window yeah yeah yes not the plot not at movie. all i so jason i don't know if if i hadn't watched this in the, the end stretch of us watching eighty thousand stephen king movies and then discussing them i don't know how i would have received it or how long it would have taken me to know exactly how every beat was going to happen in this movie but, but roughly was. <laughs> roughly 3 minutes into this movie i was like oh this is the dark half but flipped upside down and then timothy hutton showed up and was like you nailed it bud yeah and then it just was <laughs> i was like oh this is as soon as Totoro shows up you're like oh this is the same. This is like he's the writer, and then yep. the dirty, mean Southern version. Instead of being a guy that's ripped out of him and wants him to write different stories, is a guy who wrote the same story and needs to merge with him. Uh, and then that's what happens. And then the movie ends. I'm done talking about it. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it, it's maybe it would have taken us five more minutes if we hadn't already watched The Dark Half nah. and every other Stephen King movie, but I don't think it would have taken you that long. You don't think so? Because I, it's I was giving such... it the benefit of the doubt that maybe if I had never seen a Stephen... Maybe if I was going into it fully blind, I just watched uh, Layer Cake. I don't know what else came out this year. No, because you, you have seen movies before. Yeah, yeah. And if you've seen a movie before, sure. you know that as soon as there's this dude that only the main character ever talks to and ever sees and then tells other people about and that he somehow is already connected to him. And they even mention like, Oh, you've had a pen name before and blah, blah, blah. And I, the, you have that, the way that the scene is shot when like the one witness who would have seen him drives past, it's like, okay, obviously he's just waving to Johnny Depp and nobody's there. Like, you know, you, it's it's just so like I 
when I saw that it was written and directed by David Kep, I had a moment where I was like, oh, maybe this won't be as bad okay. as I thought it was going to be. Because in my mind, David Kep is a guy who's like, not great, but sure. pretty much fine. He's written a bunch like, of pretty good movies. Yeah, like he, he wrote Jurassic Park and he uh, he wrote The Paper, which mm-hmm. is a favorite of mine from when I was a kid. Sure. And I the specifically, the, the reason I thought like, oh, maybe I'll kind of like this one you know, um, is that I remember liking uh, Stir of Echoes, the movie he made Don't know anything about with that. Kevin Bacon. That was like a ghost movie. Okay. Um, and everyone I've ever talked to about that thinks that that's an insane thing to think. Oh, we that should that watch movie it is okay. Um, and so it, it may be that I'd revisit it and be like, oh, what was I thinking? Because it came out a long time ago. Sure. I, I, but I think I just remember being like, oh, yeah, it's a ghost story and it's pretty well done. Like, it's nothing that special. But sure. it's like, okay, sure, cool. I'm there. Yeah. Um, so I thought, like, this will be maybe fine. And, like, I don't really need to watch Johnny Depp in anything anymore. But there was a time in my life when he was a very important actor to me. And so maybe he would turn in a performance. And Maria Bello's in it, criminally underutilized. And John Turturro is John Turturro. a hero. The way he says Mississippi in this movie made me want to kick my TV through the wall. Mississippi. Well, I'm just up here from Mississippi. I'm okay with us just recording 15 minutes on this and having the rest of the episode be sound clips of John Turturro talking. Just all of his lines. Just Mm -hmm. cut them all out. By the way, if you talk to that sheriff of yours again, or if you don't show up at 4 o'clock, I will burn your life and every person in it like a cane field in a high wind. The saddest part of this movie, Jason, is when they finally merge... And Johnny Depp is wearing a hat and Ugh. being that character instead of John Turturro. Yeah. You're like, why would you? Why not just have John Turturro take take over all of Johnny Depp's roles? You also why not don't, do it the other way? It's also completely unbelievable that Johnny Depp could murder Maria Bello and Timothy Hutton. They yeah. tear him yes. apart. Yeah, a hundred percent. Either of them would rip him into pieces. Yeah, I don't believe it for a second. No, I here's a conversation, Jason. Which is that I feel like Johnny Depp comes out of a tradition of acting that I like, and I feel like 50% of the time I'm on board with him, but something about him really rubs me the wrong way, and I don't know what it is. I mean, Why don't it, I like Johnny Depp? It rubs me the wrong way now to watch a movie in which it ends with him just beating a wife. Well, sure. <laughs> that was unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't... Let, let's, let's dig into this for a minute, because this movie deserves... 10 minutes of conversation tops. Well, Although I yeah. have a couple of notes. That I have we a bunch can, of notes. We I have a hit. bunch of notes. Um, uh, like, I really like the one scene where he's just walking around carrying an oar, and then the yeah. guy's like, stop carrying that oar. Yeah. Uh, That's really nice. Um, but I like when he first goes to talk to the bodyguard guy, and as soon as he's hired him, he starts a chess clock, and then they have a conversation <laughs> yeah. where they're both punching the chess clock. That's a really delightful set piece. It is. It is. There's also, when, when Depp is losing his mind towards the end, there's a mm. part where he just starts barking. This is how it happens. Shut up! There is no John Shooter. Ah! I never has ah! been. You invented him. Ah! Ah! Listen to me, not to him. Before it's too late. Leave me alone! <laughs> just, I, that, like, the, he's, he's having a conversation back and forth with himself. Yeah. And, like, he's saying things like, no, don't. But then at a certain point, he just starts going, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great. 
but yeah, yeah. So why don't so so does your do you when here's my take partially 50% on all Jenna the time fifty percent all the time. I so so to me, there's a real dividing line between Johnny Depp then and Johnny Depp now. And I don't mean then when this movie was made. I mean then when Johnny Depp was Johnny Depp to me. Meaning, at the mm. beginning of his career, we have... What do you got? You got Benny and June. You got Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. You've got Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. You've got Dead Man. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was a period of time in, we'll just call it the 90s, uh, mm-hmm. When if Johnny Depp was in a movie, Crybaby. Yeah. If he was in a movie, I was watching that movie. All of those movie. movies are amazing movies. Those are all amazing movies. Yeah. He had an amazing run. And he was exclusively making interesting choices. Even when he was cast in a dumb movie, like mm-hmm. The Astronaut's Wife, he would be in there making, like, he would just be disappearing into this role in really weird ways. You yeah. know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. There's just this incredible sure. run of the 90s where he was one of the best actors working and then he became i i don't remember exactly when it happened because he he started out as this weirdo and then he became the most famous person in the world yeah and I think that's what I'm yeah. reacting. I think, but I feel like every movie, I haven't rewatched any of those movies in a long time. And I feel like every movie I've seen him in post Pirates of the Caribbean has been him making choices that I feel like I should like, but that really irritate me. Yeah, I think that, I think that's accurate because it, and, and that maybe Pirates of the Caribbean really is the, the true turning point. Like he was a movie star before that, but that mm-hmm. movie was so huge. Sure. And just it so completely overwhelmed. Because I remember really liking his performance in that first Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, he's doing good And things. being like, this is really fun. And yeah. it was after that that I can't... I'm pulling up his filmography right now to just see if if I'm right that that's sort of the turning point. Yeah. Because I think, I think, Jason, that he thinks he's still doing the same work that he always has been. And I think that he, whatever he's doing now is close to what he has always done. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it too, is that he's like, you know, when you're a young man and drinking and partying all the time, you still have energy. Mm -hmm. And then when you're an older man and doing that, you maybe think you have more energy than you do. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm looking at this and it is sort of baffling how he became a, the one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Sure. Because you look at his filmography and it is all of these weirdo movies that nobody, like I rem- I remember people in my high school being furious that they watched Ed Wood by mistake, you know? Oh really? Yeah. Ed Wood's a delight though. It's one. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's an amazing movie, yeah. um, but like, they're not movies that normal people would want to watch. Like Ed Wood, I'm looking at Benny, Benny and June, Edward Scissorhands, Cry Baby, uh, Dead Man, uh, I guess Donnie Brasco was a relatively I'm not that hip mainstream that film. That was one where like he it was like a, a a cop gangster thing with Al Pacino. Like it it's good, but okay. it's definitely on the lower end of interesting. And and maybe that's just sort of like where he's starting to really get more commercial roles. But like mm-hmm. he still does Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas after that and the Ninth Gate. Oh yeah. Which is so good. And another directed by another creep but um you know and i i I even i'm one of the weirdos who likes tim burton's sleepy hollow um oh that is a weird thing to like yeah i i i can't help it 
Um, I guess he was really big in Chuck a lot. Maybe that was where he really turned into like, because that was a movie that, that yet another creep Harvey Weinstein pushed real hard to turn into an Oscar movie. Sort of like okay. a, a a lightweight European comedy that okay. he he worked his his you know Oscar magic on to turn into a really big movie in America and Johnny sure. Depp was like very much like you know open shirt sexy European oh, hunk in that. Um, but yeah, like so so b- between Sleepy Hollow and Chocolat, which came out about the same time, he was in. Blow, which was not a huge movie. Oh, right. From Hell, which was not a huge movie. Right. Once Upon a Time in Mexico, which was not a huge movie. And then Pirates right. of the Caribbean. Yeah. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean really was so big. And I guess that's well, when people but it probably, really... I don't know that Pirates of the Caribbean was meant to be as big as it was, right? Because it was when Disney was like, we're going to make movies based on our rides. And they made The Haunted Mansion, which did and then they made Pirates of the Caribbean, and it was like, just kidding, this is enormous. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected that. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean, like, I'll I'll go ahead and admit, like, I went and saw it, like, three times in the theater that year. Yeah. Because yeah. I just it's kept being, being with people who wanted to go see it and hadn't seen it sure. yet, and, like, it still worked on the third time. I was like, yeah, there's some good sure. jokes. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's really great. But then it's after that he does, like, Secret Window. I remember the first time I was really, really off him was Finding Neverland, the oh, movie by J.M. Barry, which I just thought yeah, was yeah. absolutely unbearable. And then uh, Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, oh, which is, I mean, who cares except that it's beyond just not very good. It's like painful. It's, oh, I haven't tried to watch it. it. You maybe should only to see what it looks like when Tim Burton and Johnny Depp together make, where they used to make exclusively the correct choices, they make mm-hmm. exclusively the wrong ones. Oh, like really? in in such a a insane direction that you can't comprehend that these were people who once made things you cared about. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there's nothing after this that I care about very much, except for like, you know, he shows up for ten minutes in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Oh right, right. Um, you know, and I've seen other stuff he's done. Like I watched Black Mass, and he's fine in it. But yeah, somewhere along the line, he just turned into a movie star and stopped being an interesting, interesting actor. But he definitely thinks he's doing interesting things. You know, he like flounces in this, and he narrates everything he's doing, and he s- says things in a funny way. You know, there's and, like, and he still does occasionally do something interesting. I don't want to say that sure. he's completely, you know. No, he makes a couple of there was uh there was one really good choice that I will not remember where he like starts to do something and then looks back at someone who said something and it's really good. You know, yeah. there are a few good beats for sure. Yeah. But the whole movie I was like 50 to 60% of what he's doing makes me not happy. But I but I couldn't place it because it it all feels like he's just You know what maybe it is is that it feels like we talked in the uh, Busey episode, Silver Buseys, um, <laughs> about actors who who can see the extent. I'm sorry, so, Silver Buseys just made me really want to write a private eye character named Gary Bullets, <laughs> and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So now, now you can talk. Okay, but after we finish this episode, let's write a draft of Gary Bullets. Okay. Um. And uh, uh, now I'm lost. Oh, oh, I'm so, so sorry. No, no, no. And then I was talking thinking about slugs and like slugging off liquor and slugs bullets and then slugs <laughs> fists. I was just I was getting lost down a down a Gary bullets rabbit hole. Um, 
uh, we talked about actors who sort of see the expansiveness of a role and are willing to make themselves weird to fill it. Yes. And I feel like maybe that's a thing. I feel like maybe even in his heyday, Johnny Depp was seeing the expansiveness of a role and then trying to push past it a little bit, mm-hmm. trying trying to make it weirder for his own gain. And I feel like now, maybe in a movie like this, it feels like he has found certain weirdnesses that he's comfortable with that he's just going to put on every role, regardless of if they're appropriate or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's worth noting, you know, his... You, you don't want to make too much of, like, an easy parallel of this, but, like, he became really close with Marlon Brando before Brando mm. died. Okay. And in many ways, Depp is the heir to Brando's acting style and to a lot of Brando's eccentricities. Mm, okay. Um, in terms of... Like, I, I remember Depp, like, notoriously a long time ago said like, no, I know somebody asked him like what he thinks of the movies that he's in. He's like, I don't watch the movies I'm in. Mm -hmm. Like I do the performance and then it's done. I don't ever want to see it. Yeah. And so it, it makes sense that somebody like that, a would not have a great sense of the arc of his career and like what choices to make to go along and like what works and what doesn't for an audience. Um, but it also indicates this mindset of like, as he grows older, he's going to go further and further into this. I am the artist. I'm separate from all of this. I'm just in my bubble of thinking about what it is I want to do. But then that at the same time meets the giant movie star who gets paid, you know, because he, you know, feels probably like he needs to get paid what he's worth. His price mm-hmm. tag is huge. Sure. And so he's only going to be in movies that can swing that price tag. And those movies are almost all going to be terrible. And right. he doesn't have, he's not connected to the end product enough to have that, you know, to have one of his goals be like, well, I'd like to be in some good movies. Because he doesn't right, care about right. the movies. He doesn't care what he's in. He just cares about getting paid. Yeah. Like he showed up for Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus because you know, Heath Ledger had been a friend of his and Terry Gilliam was a friend of his, but he still was only able to be like, I'm here for six days. And like, then I'm gone to a different project. Right. Um, I mean, also because like, apparently supposedly the, he's been drunk for 10 years and the people managing his money just completely fucking screwed him. So he's in one of those situations, like, you know, like a Nick Cage tax situation, except that he's just like out of money. It's all a big, like basically Johnny Depp spending most of his time in court right now, either suing Amber Heard or suing the people who've managed his money. Sure. So it, he's, you know, his, his stories are contradicted by everybody else's stories. Of course. (laughs) You know? Uh, And so, you know, on the one hand, who knows? On the other hand, like, probably, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably a the, little, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Man who who holds Marlon Brando and, uh, and um, shit, I just forgot the name of the Rolling Stone. Uh, Michael Jagger. No, the other Rolling Stone. Keith Richard. Yes. Uh, like, if those are your two lodestones for how to behave in life, like... Sure. <laughs> you're probably not going to be the best person. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, so that I guess yeah, that's the the story of Johnny Depp. It, it's it's troubling to me because he is somebody who, particularly in the wake of the of the whole Amber Heard thing, it becomes much more difficult to like 
still care about those old performances, but I do yes. really still care about those old performances. Yeah. And there is just like a straight from, I mean, literally the entire 90s, from 1990 to 1999. He's just solid hits. He's in... Well, he's also in a lot of other stuff I'm seeing like that I oh, really? didn't even remember. Like, I've forgotten about Nick of Time. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Nick of Time is a movie that is shot in real time over 80 minutes oh, in no. which uh, Christopher Walken steals uh, Johnny Depp's daughter in order to force him to, like, shoot a politician. He, like, okay. kidnaps his daughter and then is like, you won't, you'll only get her back or we'll only let her live if you kill this person for us. And okay. it's basically just, like, Johnny Depp running around a shopping mall and then every 20 minutes Christopher Walken pumps out and goes, we got your daughter! And, it, you know, <laughs> it's very, is very his, forgettable. Is his name Nick? No. That would be better. Dumb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just just the that that solid run. I'm gonna sure. say him again because I just love. I mean, like Dead it. Man, Crybaby. Yeah. I'm not gonna not watch those movies. That's again. That's like in in order: Crybaby, Edward Scissorhands, Benny and June, Ed Wood, Dead Man, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and The Ninth Gate are all remarkably important movies to me. And then For in sure. between those, it's there's just stuff that even other people would be like, yeah, there's like What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Oh, and, sure. And Donnie Brasco and, sure. you know... Those movies sound less exciting to me. They're way less exciting, but, like, that's... God damn, like, that's a that's a career that you could retire on right there. And so maybe and we boy can just should pretend he that he did. <sighs> Jason... What was uh, the movie we watched? <laughs> there's a scene in this movie once they... It's like, well, they're, they're like, hey, did you get it yet? Um, in that part of the movie, where it's just after... Uh, is like, I killed these two men, and they're linked to you in ways you'll never understand. Um, and then, and then Johnny Depp loses his watch in the car where they're murdered, and you're like, oh no, that's gonna come back, except yeah. that he murdered them, and I know that because I'm watching the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think in that same sequence, as John Turturro walks away for maybe the last time until he shows up as, like, a figment in a doorway at the end, mm-hmm. as he walks away, he says, listen, you've got my hat. I want it. <laughs> One way or the other. It's so good. Uh, Wanna wake up from one of your stupid naps and find Amy nailed in your garbage bin or turn on the radio some morning and here she came off second best in a match with a chainsaw you keep out in the shed? Do you? <coughs> so Kep changed the story a bunch. Um in that this is another situation of Hollywood making Stephen King looks like look like he hates women more than he does. Okay. Um, because in the story, uh, he can't kill Maria Bello. <laughs> like, what do you mean he can't? Like she she he tries and she runs away and yeah. she gets outside and he like stumbles outside and gets shot by an insurance agent. Yeah, okay. And, like, that's the end of the story. But then, like, the very end of the story and, like, the punchline of it makes it really just, like, him doing Dark Half as a short story, just, like, as a like a, as an exercise, is that mm-hmm. Maria Bello uh, puts John Turturro's hat in the trash mm-hmm. and then, like, comes back a few minutes later and it's turned up with a note in it. <laughs> the trash has turned into Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just turned upside down with a note in it from the John from John Shooter being like, "I'm headed back to Mississippi. I got my story back. That's all I wanted." So like the okay. but like the story because it, it's in in Kep's telling, it's mm-hmm. basically just the story of a man who decides he wants to kill his wife and creates this 
yeah. insane rationale for it, or like figment of his imagination to allow him to do it. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes like kind of a nasty joke at the end that just really mm-hmm. leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yes. Um, in the King short story, it's about a man who uses his imagination to push himself towards his own destruction, which is, again, so much more Stephen King. It's like the, this sure. this character goads him into doing these things that ultimately just lead to his own death. Right, and right. and the and the uh, figment of his imagination really does manifest by the end in much the right. way that the writer does in the dark half. Yeah. And as this thing of like, you know, I had to be created because my creator had to be punished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very Stephen King. Yeah. In and, a way that this movie is not. I mean, yeah. this movie's Stephen King in other ways, but that oh, ending yeah, yeah, is totally. I mean, and, and a much lot, more Stephen King. A lot of the stuff way. leading up to that is all the same. It's just that ending part where Kep was like, although I did appreciate the choice. I don't know whose it was. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that could have been at least suggested by Depp. You would believe mm-hmm. it. Where at the end, he has his hair straightened and he has braces yeah, and on. Braces. And yeah, he yeah. says, like, I'm just getting something straightened out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like such a weirdo creep. Yeah, that is pretty delightful. Um, although pretty difficult to eat lots and lots of ears of corn with braces. I, that was a note I wrote. I was like, aren't you specifically not supposed to eat corn when you have braces? Yeah, but I guess that's I just how crazy he is. He's so crazy. Um, yeah, I don't have many other notes, no. I guess. No. Uh, Maria Bello, super criminally underutilized... Mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton mostly underutilized, although he does mm-hmm. have that one funny bit where he gets to hit the door frame and then oh, so good. And Johnny Depp says "bummer" and walks away. Yeah, Timothy Hutton's like, <laughs> um, I have a note that says "Doom Squirrel." I don't know what that means. Doom Squirrel. I think there might have been just like a really like menacing shot of a squirrel that I made don't me laugh. That, but I believe you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's also. Fucking, this is how dumb this movie is. There's a point where Johnny Depp is sitting in a car looking at his ex-wife and her new lover in his house. Mm-hmm. And his voiceover narration literally says, this is not my beautiful house. This <laughs> yeah. is not my beautiful wife. Anymore. Uh, God it damn. It is really dumb it's really dumb jim we are this i i feel like we got so cocky through this whole thing because we had some bad movies but then we had a lot Mm -hmm. of fine ones and we had some real gems yeah but then (laughs) i i feel like with some exceptions yeah i mean it's it's not everything but there there's just like this and the shining Mm -hmm. and i we're just kind of getting punched in the face with these it does feel like we're getting beat up at the end yeah like absolute clown shows yeah i know we have two left and this is we've clearly shifted into another era of filmmaking at this point um yeah that's actually a really important point we were in the 70s and then in the 80s and those were both good times and the 90s even and then we were in the 90s and the 90s are a fun place because things get bigger and more fun in cinema in general but also in these king films uh and then as the 90s start to close and the 2000s set in we culturally all become more interested in seriousness and in darkness uh and in cleanliness in our films yeah uh, everything gets a little more digital. Everything gets a little more uh, p- pristine. Um, and it's not my favorite era of film, but we're definitely 
getting into this era, and I don't think it bodes well. Because I said this a few episodes ago, that I felt like once we were past the sort of prime king, or the, like, the prestige era, we landed in the era of humanistic, grimy, good-time horror comedy king. And yes. for me, that was those are the kings that sort of are able to sing the best. Those that's really where I feel like his stuff was was really living. Um but now we're getting into this era where it's and this movie is even sort of on the cusp still, right? It's like still doing some kind of dark stuff and some kind of jokey stuff, but it feels mm, a little less bombastic, and it feels a little more concerned with uh, a sort of sense. It's like a less playful sense of the world. Yeah, I mean, it it is. It's it's also just like a more. I mean, maybe this is all you're really saying, but it's just like a more normy movie, and that's because David yeah. Kemp's one of the most normy screenwriters you could think of. Like, sure. he's just a huge big name. He gets paid lots of money to write things that Steven Spielberg can shoot, and sure. like that's just he's he. That's what he does. And then I guess when he gets to make his own movies, he makes these things that are a little weirder. But he's not really that weird. It's not that weird. And that's my fear, is that we we only have, what, two left after this? Yeah. They're they're both big-ish movies. Mm -hmm. And they both have real movie stars in them. And buckets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And they're from this new era of filmmaking. And I I feel fairly confident saying that we're not going to get another Mangler. Yeah, I don't think we're even going to get another Dreamcatcher. Yeah, I think we're I think we're settling down into into seriousness, which I'm not saying has to, but I think often does translate into boringness. I feel like instincts towards industrial competence often squelch mm-hmm. yes. interesting ideas yeah. that maybe wouldn't have been strictly competent. Like they sure. would have maybe been weird or stuck out awkwardly. Yeah. Um, but they would have more life to them than somebody yes. like, I don't know, like David Kep, not to just keep shitting on him, but he made this goddamn movie and I had to watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and whatever, I, you know, I've watched the paper and had enough joy in my heart for it enough times that yeah. he can just live on that. Um, he, like, everything is, like, here's the thing about this movie. Technically, it's totally well done. Totally like, fine. Uh, if you were to map it out and be like, what choices should you make to achieve these effects? Like, mm-hmm. it it outlines well. It sure does it. And it yeah. maps out. But none of it goes anywhere. None of it has a pulse. It just no. is like... It just kind ugh. of plods through and then it stops. Yeah. Like, it doesn't even have the have the the weirdnesses of, like you said, like Dreamcatcher from yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Like, Lor- Lawrence Kasdan is a similarly competent, huge yes. dude. But mm-hmm. he also has like something in him that let him preserve at least yeah. some of the weirdness of Dreamcatcher, yeah. even if it sometimes he, gets buried he was like, under this the story new is pretty bonkers and yeah. he he let it be. Yeah. And David Kep was like, oh, this needs to sell to a mainstream audience. Or even I don't even know if he's saying he needs to sell to a mainstream audience. I think it's just the the taste that's colonized it's just what his he brain. Has. Yeah. He's yeah. like, this just needs to be a movie. Like, these are the rules of movies. Here's how I make it a movie. And it doesn't leave room for the kind of messiness where you find some of the real joy in these things. Yeah. So, I don't know. Secret window is... Yeah. (laughs) Shut shut the window. Shut that secret window. Shut that secret window on my hand! (laughs) Is that that a can song? No, it's it's Poison Arrow. Mm -hmm. Is that ABC? Shoot that poison arrow in my heart. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I whatever. 
I think the one of the lessons of this podcast is if I start singing, then it's time to stop recording. <laughs> Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast, produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Hell to the King would also like to know what the fuck happened to Tim Burton. Did you think you were getting off easy, Tim? Did you and Johnny eat the same bad clams in 1999? Because you've both only been producing diarrhea since then. Oh snap, burn. Diarrhea burn. down a Gary Bullets rabbit hole. <laughs>